Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everyone, I am Darren Carp, and I'm here as always with my hot wife, John Thrasher. How you doing? Vanna everyone? White. Oh. oh, oh, it's me. Oh, I said hot wife, but I guess we could do hot Vanna White too. I guess hot sure. and Vanna White is the same thing. I was Vanna just going to say hot. she's unbelievably hot. Especially, yeah. no, I'm not an ageist. I'm not somebody who thinks when you get to a certain age you are no longer hot. Oh, I am. But, just kidding. Well, no, I, I feel like that's normal if you are, if anybody Like is. Betty White sorry, is Emily. hot as hell and she's about to be 100 <laughs> right. next month, so. Is she really? Yeah, she's going to be 100 next year. Oh my God. But Vanna White like defies age. I mean, whatever her she skincare does. routine is, is just, I need to know the details immediately. She does. She really does. Yeah. Well, you are just as hot, if not hot. Well, well, just as hot as Vanna White. Let's not get crazy. I'm not drunk yet to say that you're hotter That's than That's right. Have a couple of drinks before you start saying those words. Yeah, no, exactly. Are you <laughs> drinking anything today, buddy boy? Because we have like kind of a big show, as you can tell from our title the of title. the show. We are discovering... We were discussing, excuse me, Tiger King two. So yeah. this is going to be uh, this is going to be an interesting show. Are you going to be drunk for it? Well, I'll be honest. I was totally preparing to have some apple pie Baileys. You know, I'm still working on that through the holiday season. You're going to be they're... working on that way longer than the holiday for a season, while. Babe. Yeah, for, for a, a while. while. For a while. For a while. It's his my winter hair's... drink. We're on yeah. Zoom, and Darren can see my hair flipping. Um, That's nice but glow. I actually didn't have chance because I wanted to put it in eggnog. I don't know if you like eggnog. I love eggnog. It's very bad for you. It's like a billion calories for a sip. Anything but it's like, good is bad for you. That's I know, and determined. it's like the holiday season, and um, we'll get into it actually in our listener shoutouts. But I wanted to include it in that, and I didn't have time to go get eggnog, and then oh, today's just been, and tonight's tonight's been. Um, very busy, frankly, okay. in my life and, 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 and uh, in other ways. But anyway, so I'm just drinking water from okay. my Voss water bottle. Oh, you bottle. have fancy water. Well, it's it looks fancy. I don't know what it is. But um, if you listen to last week's NMR that was just released, you'll know why I'm drinking a Voss water bottle. So go listen to that. Do you have like a, f- just real quick, do you have like a mm-hmm. favorite water that if you're going to buy bottled water, you get this kind always? Because some I people do. are snobbies about it. I know. my girlfriend. She's very snobby snobby about her water and like okay. I gotta get the right kind she's very much so into Avion Evian oh Avion? Okay. Evian Evian yeah no you know what there's different types of minerals and all this different <laughs> oh, I started oh, I just to, took a sip really and it was like it was you just really right tried. there um I don't have a you know what my favorite flavor is actually and I say flavor of water but it's like you know they they do all have their different what is it alkaline levels so yeah. to speak yeah um, the one I like the most is the cheapest. It's Deer Park water. I don't know if you've ever oh, seen it. Oh, of about. course. It's the cheapest one, and to me, it tastes the best. So I, I stick with Deer Park. Well, okay. Well, I am doing a Tiger Teeny today, 
And that well, wait, what about what is your favorite water? Do you have a favorite oh, water? Oh, I don't really. Okay, um, yeah, you just water. I, I don't water. even mind New York tap. Like, I, I don't really. I just like water. <laughs> oh, water. wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I do. That, it's the best that tap might in, be... the, in the world. Well, I will say, I remember this. I watched, I saw this Gothamist article. No, it probably is. Of course it is, right? Like, it, it has to be almost. But I remember reading this Gothamist article, and if you're not from New York, it's kind of like, what would you call it, Darren? It's like the, it's like almost like. It's just like our local. Local. When I say local, it's like of New York City, like of Gotham. It's like time out New York. It's what's going on. Time out. Yeah, yeah, it's like a time out kind of thing. And there was this thing about microscopic shrimp looking things in the water here. Yeah. And from then on, that was when I I bought. There's also like fluoride and things. I bought my Brita. Brita, my Brita filter. So I will drink tap from New York, especially if it's filtered. But yeah, I agree with you. It's probably the well, best in the country. Today I'm drinking what I'm calling a Tiger Teeny, which uh, in light of Tiger King is just a combination back and forth of Diet Coke and smart water. <laughs> so how does that now? How is that a Tiger Teeny? We don't, teeny we exactly? don't know. That's okay. just my I'm, I'm ad libbing here. I'm just sure. trying to be appropriate, John. Sure. Um, hopefully this will make me smart. Smarter we'll, when you're smart water. Yes, so we'll see. Diet Coke's you know gonna what? make me when, awake. Smart yes. water's gonna make me smart today. I love the sound of that tonight. Yes. Um, I will say I'm gonna set an alarm on my phone for like the night before we record these to make sure I have my drink set up because I just never have time during the day because I'm working no, I get so it. Much. I mean, a lot of times I'm actually going out tonight for a work drinks thing. So oh, so you're I really? Knew. I didn't want to be drunk before that. Like every time <laughs> I, if I drink before something, then I'm like paranoid that I said something and I just like. Well, you is know, that from our Caroline show? Probably. It's like PTSD <laughs> from that of like horribleness. But um, yeah. I just want to remind everyone before we get into this case, because there's a lot of cover, we are having our final, by final, I mean final of 2021. That's right. Patreon yes. live stream holiday edition this Tuesday, December 14th yes. at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I know it's kind of later than we normally do, but it also allows for the rest of the country to kind of join. Hopefully they'll be done with work. So put the kitties to bed. Don't put yourself to bed. Have an adult beverage with us if you so choose. Have a tiger teeny if you so choose. I might try that. I'm just saying. And we'll have more games and prizes and we're ramping it up just in time for the holidays. We're really excited about it. So come celebrate our kind of end of the year wrap up well on Patreon that's a great year. way to put that yes <clears throat> and did you send off the gifts from the last one remember we were you bet your bip i did of course you I did? did okay well are you some ready people, for I... the gifts for this round are you ready i will have i will have really cool gifts this round because it's the holidays we have to really step it up to the next level okay good you know okay, what i mean good. yeah i hear you um i hear you will one of them be a baby yoda funko pop maybe we don't know, but if you want to sign up for our Patreon and you haven't already, oh god, I really hope I just put win one that. On the Zoom. Um, John, how do people? That's right. Get yes. to be a part of this. You can sign up for our Patreon at the. Dis- you have to be sure to sign up for our disturbed, our truly disturbed, or our super fan levels. Before Tuesday to join us, you'll get a link in your Zoom uh, for the Zoom in your Patreon inbox about 30 minutes before the show starts. Again, that is Tuesday, December 14th at 9 p.m. And Darren, to your point, you know, we've started the we've got mixed feedback about when we do these. Some people are like, do them earlier. Some people are like, do them later. We have to do them, frankly, when it's good for us because we're the host of the show. Okay, so 9 p.m. it is this this well, holiday uh, I will say if no one comes up at 9 p.m. though, I feel like we well, don't. Ma- it doesn't really matter. But yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Hopefully your gift. 
I know you're hopefully yeah. coming to New York soon. Your gift that That's I right. got you for Christmas will hopefully. <gasps> oh, I got you a gift coming, too. I just remembered. And hopefully, I can give it to you in person. I have. I would love to do that. It would. We not should do be a little ho- video gift exchange of each other, and then at post least it to our that. Patreon. At least that for sure. Okay. And I got a little tiny little little something for Nadine. I just want you to know. <gasps> That's that so she got nice. I know. I mean, I haven't. I got even something met for your person. significant other. Oh. Oh, 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 I don't oh, have one. Oh, is it this busted Pikachu Funko I, Yeah, pop? I got the oh. little baby Yoda. Oh, oh it's awkward. Oh, okay. anyway, well, anyways. Anyways, um, so, uh, no. <laughs> so, guys, um, anyways, um, let's move um, right along now. Um, I'm alone sad. this holiday right, season. We'll, <laughs> we'll continue on, but, you know, this episode <laughs> is a Patreon yes. listener poll winner. We asked you guys That's on Patreon right. a few weeks ago if we should even cover Tiger King 2, if that was even fucking <laughs> worth it. You roared loudly, my friends, and 31% right. said no. So a solid third of you were like, fuck no. But fuck 69, no. that's right. 69, of all numbers. Said yes. Um, yeah. So that 69 verse 31, that's enough for us to want to cover it for a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to keep doing this in the future, especially with like Netflix and other uh, documentaries that are available to view. We're going to let that Patreon listeners decide what it is we do on our main show here. So... You know, some people were excited, Darren. Ruth said, um, or Emily said, absolutely. Susan said, yes, cover it. Ruth said, I never watched it, never wanted to, but I'd love to find out what the hype is about. Well, Ruth, you're about to find out. So I'm assuming, Ruth, you never saw the first part, but, you know, there was so much hype about it that I feel like you almost don't need to see it. Let me just say before we begin, we're going to be covering this in episodes, but we'll go pretty quick to not be really long. If you saw the first Tiger King, you haven't seen the second Tiger King. The second Tiger King is literally just an update of all the quote unquote characters in it, you know? So it's like, we got Carol Baskin, you know, we've got Jeff. So we got, Mm -hmm. we kind of got every single person's update, but we're going to go by an episode order just to make it easier for you guys. But we'll kind of just run through the the things like we normally do for docs. So So Darren and I, oh, sorry, Darren. I thought you were finished there. Um, So Darren and I, uh, have both seen it all five episodes season two is five only five episodes Darren we have to give a shout out to Darren right here at the top of the show outlined so many details and produced an incredible little agenda for us so we're going to go you. through you're welcome and so we're going to go through like basically all the main highlights yeah. of every every episode as Darren just said Darren as you just said as well Tiger King really blew up last year at the very beginning of the pandemic. I almost like associate Tiger King one, I guess we should with the call pandemic it, with the pandemic. Cause it was like perfect timing. We all were sitting at home. I, I don't want to say with nothing to do, but a lot of social lives kind of, you know, what came to a halt, a halt. I will say, and, and Netflix obviously is kind of known for like, like with the example with the show you and things like that. It definitely like, Rehype shows that didn't maybe get the love that they deserved in yeah. on broadcast or cable. Yeah. But I do think ultimately, I don't think Tiger King wouldn't have been as popular and as a phenomenon as it was Carol Baskin on Dancing with the Stars had it not been for kind of the lucky, unlucky timing of when it came out, when we were all for sitting sure. at home kind of wanting to binge. Not that it's not good. It's just I do think that the real, real huge hype of it came from the, you know, as a result of the pandemic. And I also, and I completely agree, I think the other part, the other ingredient, if you will, for why this blew up last year was 
that we were also not only were we looking for stuff to binge but i think when things were getting really kind of frankly scary there for a minute i think we all wanted something to laugh about together like online sure like how many tiger king memes did you see in 2020 i mean oh my god i mean literally it never ended it transcended because carol baskin was on later that season of dancing with the stars which was in september of 2020 and i obviously watched these shows for my show and it was TV's like reality check, by the way. I mean, she became a reality star almost from, yeah, you know, she did. And, and she had like a murder for hire against her. So it was like real reality kind of hitting us at the, uh, yeah. at the jump. Yeah. Did you ever interview her on reality check? Or, oh, that's right. You did. I thought you I did. I have interviewed her. Yes. I we might have to her. find that audio and clear it to put it in this show. Maybe we one day. might we be able to do that. Yeah. Maybe we would. Okay. So let's get into the details of Tiger King two. Episode one is called beg your pardon. We learn a lot of details. Joe exotic. He's obsessed with his fame at this point. Still he's continues. in jail. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We go to Wynwood, Oklahoma. Jeff Lowe is basically capitalizing on his fame as well. Remember, COVID is happening, and it is not stopping anybody. I actually know, and I don't want to name names on this podcast, but I do know a couple famous people who went to go visit Jeff Lowe's Tiger Kingdom. Yeah, the, during the COVID, like in April of 2020. Oh dear, I can't wait to names. know off of the off the record yeah. here who those people are. Well, okay, so then we get a little bit of an update about where everybody is. Dylan Passage, who is Joe Exotic's husband, um, he's kind of over it. I mean, I don't remember exactly, Darren. Maybe you can remember in episode one, like what was the update at this point? Just that he's kind of moving on with his life at that point? It just seems like even when the first Tiger King came out, this is just my perfect stereotype and judgmental as like a person on the side. It just Mm -hmm. seemed like Dylan was trying to take advantage of Joe with his fame and like fortune. It never seemed Mm. like he was into him. That was my assessment. And this this part of it, Dylan, we'll talk more about him later, but it just kind of seems the same thing. You know, he's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm Joe Exotic's husband, you know, but he was kind of seen with other guys. He just seems over Joe. Now that he's in jail, he doesn't seem to be like a supportive husband in any sort of way. Yeah, and frankly, spoiler alert, we don't really get that much more into Dylan until like the final episode. Yeah. Um, so there's not much else to say there. Darren, you had an interesting line here. Was there misogyny with how we treated Carol Baskin versus Joe Exotic? I think you're referencing season one. So yeah, I here. I kind of it's a good think question that there might have been, you know, and I, I, that's kind of a running theme throughout this, and like what sure. kind of men can get away with. I am still. We'll, we'll talk about this as we kind of go through, but I'm sure. still kind of unsure how we feel about Carol Baskin. I mean, obviously for me, yeah. the animals are kind of number one and and most important, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I it could be really cruel at the end of the day with how we're all kind of reacting to her and already assuming you know, that she's kind of a murderer, you know, yeah. especially of her disappearing husband. And that's just like, there are weird things that happen, but I, yeah, we'll want, to get maintain, into... I want to maintain the integrity of innocent until proven guilty on this podcast. For sure. No, for sure. The other thing about her is she's such an easy target. And I think, right. Not that Netflix or the documentary is trying to make her that way, but I think by virtue of, like you said, being a woman and being soft-spoken and being a little kooky and like her husband disappears like there's so many different ingredients again I think I'll say that again where it's like just sets her up for that when it's really not proven you know and I think this episode the first episode sets the scene Mm -hmm. for you know Joe's in jail now he's serving 22 years currently and Mm -hmm. um, obviously he just had cancer so he was uh, he was moved into a different facility but Mm. 
Um, I think this first episode has kind of said this scene of like, is he guilty? Does he deserve to be in jail? What questions do we have from the first great, season? Great, great yeah. way to put it. So James Garretson, who's the businessman. I love that who, title. Yeah. You know, you're thinks- a businessman. You're a consultant. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. And he's the one, by the way, that is pictured on the jet ski at the end of Tiger King 1. Yes. Yes. And he, he was, was kind of part of it. And he was also part of the yeah. first part to think that Joe was absolutely guilty. So he was on the That's train right. of trying to put Joe in jail. That's right. And he thinks that Jeff Lowe is actually responsible for all of this. He, You know, we, we find this out in that first episode. He's sort of like... You know, fingers are starting to point in ways that we didn't really pick up on in the first season. Um, Again, there's so many people here. We're kind of just getting through all the details as they unfolded on the show. We meet Yari, who is Joe's brother. Um, Basically, he hates Joe. He, you know, we see him uh, shooting a target with Joe's face on it, which is like very dramatic, frankly, to see something like that. Um, he implies that Joe wanted all the attention all the time, anything he he could to get attention. He we were reminded that Joe Exotic was actually a police officer in Texas. That's right. I don't know if that was in the first season, but I somehow knew that it could have been. But I was like, oh my god, that's right. Like he was doing investigations and like was arresting people. And I'm like, to think of the trajectory of his life to go from a police officer to this. Something wow. so homoerotic about like <laughs> gay Joe Exotic as a police officer in Texas becoming like a tiger tamer. Like it just, I the know. story is crazy. Yeah. Well, not only that, but Kimberly Kraft, who was his ex-wife, kind of knew about him being potentially gay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no judgment for me on that side. Everybody sort of, especially, by the way, in Oklahoma, you know, where it's not exactly New York City in terms of acceptance. Um, you know, everyone finds their own path in life in a different way. Um, she's the fire chief's daughter, by the way. And apparently she had connections or understood or found out that Joe was actually stripping for the mayor of the town. And I'm like, oh my God, how does this man's life? He's really an entertainer. He's like constantly on, I think. And this just goes to show the sets, the scene of who Joe is. Even when yeah. he's a police officer or fire, you know, whatever yeah, he's yeah. doing kind of in these serious roles, he still is the consummate entertainer no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great segue into another uh, point that I also forgot, which is that, remember, there was a whole thing last year, uh, a campaign to try to get President Trump to pardon Joe Exotic. Yeah. There's even the clip of, I guess, a reporter or somebody asking about him, and he kind you know, President Trump just kind of giggles about it. Um, obviously, that never happened. I actually thought it was going to happen. Do you remember when all that was kind of hyping? I do. Uh, I do. What did you think? Did you think it was going to happen? For some reason, I just thought it was going to. I thought it was going to happen too, but I think it was just like for the entertainment value of That's it what all. I mean. Like, yeah. I really just thought that. But I got to say, with Joe, because I'm sure he has a lot of trauma, and this is just me assuming. No, for sure. Being yeah. gay in Texas in the 80s, mm-hmm. when the AIDS epidemic is going around, like that has to be hard. I'm sure he experienced sure. so much discrimination and so much closetedness about that. That had to have been really difficult. Yeah, you know, I was just talking to a friend about this because. There are so many. So think about people aged from right now, like aged like 18 to like 65. Each every like five year gap of generation within those age groups has had such a different almost kind of upbringing about or generational upbringing about 
you know, LGBT issues. You know, people of Joe's age, I'm not even exactly sure how old he is, but to your point, coming up in the 80s and 90s when that was like a really tough thing to do. And like our generation of gay people, Darren, you know, we kind of saw both sides of it in our in our prime years. You know, we grew up in high school, like in the Bush years where it was like, you know, the, the discussion and the political discourse about whether it should or shouldn't happen. Then we went to college and it kind of like gay marriage gets passed. And we're now we're living in a, in a, in a United States where gay marriage is legal across all 50 States. So we've, we've gone through so much in such a short amount of time as gay people. And it's like every generation has had a different experience. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it gets better. Yeah, totally. I like the way you put that. Um, we find out okay so then we meet this guy Eric Love he's basically an armchair sleuth who thinks that Joe's been wronged he wants to get Joe out of prison actually he even puts a like you know money and resources and is just completely adamant but he's never even met him and isn't this such a great example of just like the way the internet works and yeah. like net Netflix in particular you know like it's we're all out here like maybe thinking we can you know well, lend a hand or you know we're all yeah exactly in that way. Um, we find out that Joe lost his first husband to lung cancer and he was also HIV positive and he died in his arms, which was like, you know, here's this, I know. And like, here's this man sitting in this, sitting in this prison cell, right? And he's recounting this trauma and it's just like, regardless of what is the truth or not, right? Like you just kind of have to hear his story and it's so depressing. And I just felt so empathetic for him towards him because I'm like, regardless of whatever he's in there for or if he did or didn't do all this stuff like you kind of have to feel for somebody who's been through so much in life you know Well, when people said that 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 turning point of when he was like so in love with brian which was his Mm ex-husband or sorry his his widowed husband his his dead husband right right first husband um like changed him like that was like the pivotal point of joe's life where it just like altered him in a different type of mentality yeah, and they say that um, he became the most narcissistic person and engrossed himself in the fame. And maybe that's his way of, like... Coping. Coping, yeah. Yeah. Um, Darren, you have an interesting line here. You have a better chance of winning a sex offender case than winning an animal abuse case. Was that something from the from the show? Yeah, that's remember. what the lawyer said in the show of just, like, mm. trying to win cases like this that you have a better chance of winning a sex offender case than an animal abuse case. I don't know why that's true. Maybe it's state by state, but I yeah. do also think that being a sex offender in this country, it has a really negative stigma, but it also, like if you have sex under age, even though it's consensual, you're a sex offender. And so yeah. there's a huge range of what qualifies as a sex offender. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, As opposed to maybe what what, what animal abuse is considered, but right. I'm not sure why that's that's the case, but that's, yeah. you know. It's an interesting line. It's an interesting point, yeah. Well, Eric and his team head to D.C. to try to get a pardon for Joe. They try to get a they basically paid for a meeting with Don Trump Jr. Um, There was some kind of like, you know, fundraiser. You can pay for a certain certain amount of time with face to face time with these people. They pay for it. Everything's going as planned, Darren. And then something happens on January 6th, which is it's so weird, like, you know, there's you know not to not that they're the same but there are these dates september 11th december 7th which is um pearl harbor day like all these kind of dates that kind of ring in history and i feel like january 6th is starting to become that a little bit for those who don't remember january 6th 2021 which is when this was happened was the insurrection that happened in dc 
uh, people rioted into the Capitol. Since then, all if most, if not all of them, have been charged. So it was sort of thwarted in a way, you know, like they basically had to cancel the meeting. They weren't able to get that time with him and it didn't happen. So then we meet Ripper Jack, who is another armchair detective. He starts a Facebook group for Don Lewis, who is Carol Baskin's missing former husband. So we get all this set up. We kind of learn about what's been going on across all these different people's lives. And then the end of this episode is like, by the way, there's a missing person involved with all yeah because this is setting up the background of carol baskin so the episode two is called the carol diaries and jack ripper jack is really another (laughs) of these armchair detective guys that just you know i mean he he think he's on joe's side he's obviously very Mm -hmm. or he's more curious about carol and alan schreier dated carol baskin about one and a half years about a year and a half after don lewis goes missing Todd, who's Alan's son, does not really like Carol, and he could never discuss Don, and says she doesn't care about people. She cares about cats, which, to be (laughs) fair, is me. Yeah, that's true. I mean, does that mean you've you've murdered or or have done something with your ex-husband? I don't know. If Nadine's going missing or a cat's going missing, if Nadine goes missing, all is fine. If a cat goes missing, you know that I've lost my goddamn mind. That's... That's all you need to know. But this kind of sets you know, up the story that her family doesn't, yeah. her, well, her ex Former kind of family, family, whatever. Does not yeah. really trust her. And so what's going yeah. on there, you know? Yeah, and Todd specifically, I remember thinking this too in the episode, I was like, I want to hear more from him, actually. I want to hear what his, not just his day-to-day was like, but like what other details were you able to surmise potentially? I feel like he probably has some more details. But Well, we meet this, we meet this Jerry Mitchell guy who's this investigative reporter, and he kind of sets up this scene. Apparently Carol, which I've never seen. I never like researched it enough. I kind of just mm-hmm. trust a, a Netflix documentary. But Carol started posting all of her diary entries to show that she yeah. didn't kill anyone. So it's like she is a va- like a very, very avid record keeper, you know, as any kind of diarist It's crazy, is. yeah. And she went yeah. back after the first part to start doing these YouTube videos of showing, you know, like June 2nd, t- 2000, you know, Don and I laid traps mm-hmm. for whatever. Like it's very mundane, but it's kind of showing that she writes everything down. So yeah, if if anything, it just kind of shows that she's a an oversharer. It's almost a little sad to see her kind of defend in herself in this way, only because like I don't know. There's just something really tragic about it. Well, and the yeah. Queen, Don's executive assistant, believe there's enough info to bring Carol at least in for questioning, as we've kind of seen. On June 14th, 1997. This is the last day Don's daughter seized on. And we know that Don had wanted to leave Carol and kind of go to Costa Rica. Don's daughter had said that, you know, Don was in an unhappy marriage with Carol. Carol was very controlling mm-hmm. of him. He had this whole other life, apparently. You know, he was kind of this big lifestyle guy, likes exotic animals, liked private planes, like going to these islands. Um, and apparently there's reports from detectives stating that Don Lewis was alive and well in Costa Rica even after he was reported missing, apparently Don was flying to Costa Rica illegally, I think to get away from Carol, or that's at least the assumption that we're meant to believe. Yeah. Uh, but but he got his pilot license, got revoked. And if you fly into a banana plantation, you can kind of fly under the radar so that way you don't have to, you know, register yourself or really get a pilot's license. Yeah, I think license. it's like, if you're under 1,000 feet, apparently, or something. Exactly. And these banana yeah. plantations are all over the place. And apparently, right. Don was trying to funnel his money down there, probably to give Carol less of it when he divorced her, ultimately. So I think he was trying yeah. to lead this double life and hide a lot of things from her. Now, it's been 
23 years since any contact from Don, which is rare for a missing person because they usually get caught by talking to someone or slipping right. up. It's really hard to kind of do that. It is alleged that Don was running a brothel out of his house. He liked the girls, young and beautiful. This is setting it up to kind of understand maybe why Don went missing and yeah, what possibly yeah, yeah. could have happened to him, as opposed to just, just assuming Carol killed him. Um, he did like, you know, the lifestyle. Apparently his favorite kind of girl that was over in his house a lot was 15 years old. So According to the documentary, not our According not our to the personal. documentary, severely underage, but... <laughs> You know, it is kind of alleged that people who knew him down in Costa Rica, perhaps one of these girls' family had killed him. You know, he was kind of caught up in a lot of bad dealings with a lot of bad people, funneling money. Again, he liked a fast life. You know, no one really wants their daughter to be, 15-year-old daughter to be with an older guy. So perhaps he kind of pissed off the wrong people. Carol knew a little bit about what Don was doing in Costa Rica. And, you know, it's kind of assumed maybe that was the motive to kill him. You know, maybe he Mm -hmm. was trying to live this life without her. And so she had motive. Ripper Jack, the guy that was introduced after episode one, is convinced that Carol at least knows something, at the very least, of what happened to Don. She knows more than she's letting on. He is convinced that she's not giving us the entire information. Yeah. And Ripper and Don's family partners with civil rights attorney John Phillips, who apparently... Okay, John Phillips was also a contestant on Let's Make a Deal, which is my favorite game show of all time. <laughs> this is setting the scene that these guys, John Phillips, is like one of those like injury attorneys, like one of those ambulance chaser kind of guys who just like always on TV, loves the limelight, yeah. knows how to market himself. Not saying he's a bad lawyer or attorney, yeah. but just like he's very smarmy to me. You yeah. Know? I don't know if you I, got that I, impression I, of him. I did. He was definitely somebody that I felt like, okay, let's see how this all plays out over the next few episodes. Turns out I was probably kind of smart to do that. Yes. Um, he plays a big yeah, role the, in this. He, plays he definitely role. does. And the other thing about him was I was like, he kind of looks like me. Like we had very similar, I think, features. Oh, like, kind I don't know if it was of. our eyes. Yeah. I don't know. Kind anyway. of. Well, John says that Don's estate, and this is part of the motive here, or perhaps part of the motive, Don's estate was valued at $7.3 million when he disappeared, and that didn't even include any of the international assets that he had. So this guy's a rich guy, just a rich guy. A lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money, I and I mean, I, I don't know where to begin with my thoughts about this episode because I had so many of them, but the one thing I thought was weird about the documentary was that they just kind of mentioned in passing that there was a report that Don was alive and well. And I'm like, wait, are we going to go back to that? Like, what happened with that report? Like, where did that lead? Like, what was the thing? And we kind of don't really hear about it again. We're, we'll get into more of, like, the diaries and, like, other things with Don and his money. But I was like, well, that's so passive. I, I, I was surprised I also just, like, you know, I mean, how helpful is that tip? And also, I just yeah. kind of imagine that Don, given the fact of the character kind of assessment that we've made seems a little weird that he wouldn't contact any of his kids like back at home that just seems a little weird to me and also to you know another um thing about the kids is that and by the way when i say kids they're now i'm assuming in like their late 40s 50s yeah like they're a little older a few of them have like white silver hair um, they're so poised and calm and just the complete opposite of how I feel like Dawn was described in this in this episode in particular. And I kept thinking, well, whose say. exact account of him is this? Because even Carol, I mean, not that Carol means that Dawn is like this or even that the kids mean that Dawn is like this. 
but even Carol's kind of soft-spoken and not dramatic. And so all these people in his orbit are like very calm and soothing, but he's like outrageous and over the top apparently. Right. And I just thought that juxtaposition, I don't know, was kind of a flag for I me. I hear you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's pick up now. We're heading into episode three. We're almost halfway through all these episodes. We meet Sandra Whitcop, Don and Carol's housekeeper, who actually called in to, I think, the tip line that uh, John set up and talked about Don and said that actually someone had forged her signature as the notary on Don's will. That's pretty major. We're going to get That's pretty That major. is huge. I was like, wait a minute. And they even show, which is, this is why documentaries in particular as opposed to like podcasts really can visualize the importance of this detail. And they kind of pull all, they animate all the different signatures and overlap them. And you see they're the exact same signature. And even a guy, I I don't know exactly who it was in the documentary was like, this is not common. People don't sign exactly the same signature each and every time. And he was even like, go ahead, try it right now. And kind of like looked at the camera. So another example that like, what is going on here? Someone has forged a signature on a will. I think we're we're getting somewhere at least. Right. Um, in the discussion, uh, in discussing the timeline of Don and Carol, Carol claims that they were in love, but around that time, Don filed a restraining order since she threatened to kill him. Okay. This is part of her diary entries, but also right. it's hard to say how. <sighs> how truthful or how honest that statement was only because it's like, did she threaten to kill him in passing? Was it an actual threat? Um, This is something you and I discuss all the time. We always say, I'm going to kill you. It's just hard to say uh, the emphasis and the severity of that statement. So for sure. And I have a thing with diaries in and of themselves as well. I'm like, how do we know this person wrote that on this date? Especially when she's the one reading it. Right. But Carol allegedly didn't want half of Don's money. She wanted all of that. And shortly, uh, excuse me, all of it. And shortly after that, he went missing in the timeline of when Don is last seen, which was Thursday, August 15th, to when he is claimed to go missing, which is Tuesday. But in Carol's diaries, she completely omits the Friday. She which writes I nothing also find, down. Or at least she, writes, she nothing writes nothing down. down. Yeah. Right. So on 8-17, August 17th, Carol claims she went to Albertsons. And I love the way the documentary played this out visually. Cause yeah, like, they had like a map see, of everything. Yeah, yeah you yeah. see like the overhead, yeah, Google Maps right. kind of thing. And, and they, you know, they animate the paths. And basically, Carol claims she went to this grocery store to get Tiger's Milk at like 11 o'clock at night. I actually think it might have been even later. I think that was when she was allegedly going to leave. Deputies noticed her on the street being hysterical at 3 a.m. So, so let's four recap. hours later. And she's only up the street, by the way. It's really not that far. Car- Carol claims that her car overheated and it broke down on the side of the road and she gave up and walked home. Hence her running into deputies at 3 a.m. But the interesting part about this is that one of those deputies was none other than her brother. Right. Exactly. The deputies claimed that she was hysterical, but like, you know, from I think the allegation. From a car, though? That's from a so car. weird. Like, also, it's walkable, yeah. and you run into your brother, and I understand that there's not necessarily cell phones, but like, your car breaks yeah, down. It's but- not like that crazy. No, I wouldn't be hysterical, especially if it's just down the street. And by the way, I think they said it was only a mile or two or three or something like that, which definitely would not take four hours to be walking. Um,. Anyway, very interesting. By the way, that doesn't mean anything is, you know, doesn't mean she's guilty or innocent. It's just 
an interesting fact about the case. Yeah. So Kenny Farr, who is Don's right-hand man, I think he's also the one, correct me if I'm wrong, Darren, that was helping him move things to Costa Rica and was like there in Costa Rica with him at times. Um, And then we meet Trish Payne, who is Kenny's ex-wife. Now, they are not... They don't seem to be on good terms at this point. No, they're filmed (laughs) separately. I mean, they're ex-wife, obviously, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but they're not even filmed together. That's right. And Trish claims that on the same night, Kenny had a truck. By the way, the same night that Carol went to Albertsons, Kenny had a truck filled with guns that Carol gave him the same exact night. Right. And she also mentions, you know, it's kind of weird that he's coming home so late at night. She, She thought that was very bizarre as well. Kenny claimed that Don traded Kenny the guns and not Carol, but then switches it to Carol... Then he says, oh, never mind. Don traded him the guns. He's doing and this the like, on camera, kind of, like on yeah, camera. Like on camera, mind. Yeah, and the producer's like, wait, you, you, it was Kenny and not Carol? And he's like, actually, you know what? It was Carol. You're right. It was Carol, Carol. And then by the third kind of iteration, he's like, just kidding. It was Kenny. It was Kenny. It was Kenny. Don, you mean. Yeah, Don. Because it's I'm Kenny sorry, talking. Don, Don, Don. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Be careful so with the names. Yeah. I know. There's so many, so many names. Yes, he's... Kenny is claiming it was Don by the end of that conversation. But isn't that such a great example of like, well, what's the truth here, Mr. Kenny? Right, which is why you can't just go on like eyewitness testimony a lot of times. Right. So then we go into this thing about the blue van. The same blue van that Kenny showed up with with all the guns was the same blue van that Don had that showed up at the airport after he went missing. Maybe it was suggested that by putting the van there, um, Don flew off to Costa Rica. I think guys. that's actually how that started with that rumor, because yeah. like they saw that van there at the airport, so they were like, "Oh, he must have fled." But yeah. it's hard to say whether or not he drove that to the airport or not. Yeah, and and you know you can sit and wonder, but nobody really knows. I thought it was interesting that they. I was like, did they do like an investigation? Did they call it a crime scene? I mean, you would probably want as much evidence that you can pull out of that out of that car as possible so i was curious about that you'd think well after don's disappearance we see carol doing some interviews and people are searching but not really carol she doesn't really seem overly phased but again we've talked about this a lot on the show too like how people deal with this stuff is very different so you can't really judge somebody's behavior on camera especially we then meet Tim ben- Bengston, excuse me, who was a friend of Carol's, and Carol asked him to help her find Dawn. Um, but Tim apparently failed his bounty hunter license. He was one of those types of people. Carol referenced him as a simple-minded person, and the question here was, like, why would you hire a guy who you think is simple-minded to go find your missing husband? Correct. That was my question. Right? Like, I don't, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And I, I think, we'll, I don't know if we'll get to this right now, but remember, he was he the one that also was like, by the way, I never left. I never went to look for him. Yeah, he was like, never happened. So, so what's going on with that? Someone's right and someone's wrong there. Um, again, volunteers are helping to find Don, but Carol didn't really participate in that. Don owned a huge property with hundreds of acres in Florida. Everyone's kind of wondering, is it possible that he's hidden there? I think Kenny Farr claims he was not involved in Don's disappearance, and he took a polygraph test at the time, and he passed. But Kenny also lived on that property that Don owned at that time. So you right. have to wonder, you know, what, what if anything, could Kenny know? Um, once Don disappeared, Kenny was basically not the same person. And this is according to, I think, Trish, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, he became very paranoid, and I think he even threatened to kill Trish. Don's daughters um, 
basically pull up to Kenny Farr's house in this documentary. This is now kind of present day. And Kenny does not allow them in the house. I don't know if it's actually Kenny or like maybe his somebody that's in the house with him or something. I remember it was a female voice that was like, you are not allowed to be here or something. Yeah. Um, just very curious. Um, yeah. It is very curious. Also, because like Kenny, Kenny Farr could pass a polygraph test. Doesn't mean he killed that person, but he might know who did. You know, that's true. Yeah. The question isn't did you know the, he passes? Yes, I didn't kill her. Kill him. But what other details could he possibly know? Um, Darren, you had a thought here about my thing is why the fuck are these people talking to the cameras? But that's the thing. <laughs> like they're not even going to let the daughters in, but they're talking to the cameras. It just seems like a little yeah. wild. It's like hiding in plain sight. But uh, you know, that's assuming that they have something to hide from, which I don't want to assume. It's just kind of like. Yeah. I don't understand. Well, Carol at this point declined to take uh, a polygraph. Yeah. Which I kind of understand. I mean, polygraphs are weird, especially in court. You know, like sometimes there's an emphasis on them and sometimes there isn't. And you could just be nervous, you know, and For get sure. it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that was her lawyer being like, don't do it. This was also the time Carol was on Dancing with the Stars. Darren, you interviewed her, and you think you say here that it's kind of wild to see her now, on this now. What was your takeaway then, and did any of that interview kind of come up while you were watching this? It's just, it's weird to see the flashback of, like, what happened in the past year with her and everything, and, like, now to know that she's on Dancing with the Stars. I will say, yeah. like, when you go... I don't want to judge her, right? Because we all have to, like, earn a paycheck and we all have to kind of capitalize sure, on her. And you yeah. know that Joe Exotic would have fucking gone on Dancing with the Stars. So we don't oh want my to judge God. her. But it's 100%. a little bit like everyone's accusing you of doing these things and you're putting yourself on Dancing with the Stars in cat costumes. Like, it just seems... And I know she's claimed she's doing it for the cats, but it, it all seems a little odd. It all seems a little odd now, especially looking back. For me then, I think I just thought... She's capitalizing on her moment, you know, and no mm -hmm, no mm -hmm. shade there to capitalizing on her moment. But it just seemed weird. I agree with you. I think there's also this weird stigma about dancing with the stars. Like, it's like, I don't know. Society's like, if you're on dancing with the stars, like you must be, you know, uh, this, that or the other thing. And like, I feel like she fell into that a little bit, too, like unfairly. Yeah. And if we remember, I mean, I love the show. We but... talked about this, John, uh, during, during remember, this time yeah. is that. This is when, during Dancing with the Stars, that's when yes. John Phillips, a lawyer, paid to have that fucking Don Lewis commercial of, like, anyone know, you know, any any clues about Don Lewis? Like, come to this yeah. thing, while they're all standing, like a weird fucking family. Um, and now, to know that that happened, and now we're talking about it, it's very meta. It's just very meta to me. It, it was very meta, and I remembered seeing, I think I actually watched that Dancing with the Stars and saw the the commercial or something, or maybe I saw it right after. And I was like seeing like the conversation about how that happened. I, I it was just very meta, as you said, totally. um, the daughters basically claimed there was too much media going on and they felt like John was in it actually more for the media attention. So they kind of fire him as the, uh, as their counsel and they hire the Ripper guy who's the Ripper kind of Jack. armchair yeah, yeah Ripper Jack as the armchair detective as their lawyer and because they think that he'll be able to solve this faster than the actual lawyer which I found very bizarre because Don's the hiring is as a representative I think I'm not sure if this guy is a lawyer was it okay yeah 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 I, I don't know exactly what it is but they give him I guess it sounds like they hired him but I was like they seem so smart and poised and I thought this was like a big mistake Maybe I'm wrong, but it just seemed Maybe very Maybe they weird. just didn't trust John and they knew at least that like 
when you when you hire these armchair detectives, it's like they're clearly doing this for the love of it and like for their mm-hmm. own passion. So they're going to be able to devote more time as opposed to like they want to be famous for this. I think you yeah. know, they want to solve the case, which maybe is what the family really wanted too. you know. That's true. And that's when we move into what I usually consider the jump the shark moment of any true crime moment, which is they hire a psychic. And I actually, you know, I've talked a lot about my own little psychic moments I've had on, on, on the show here, but you know, they bring in Troy Griffin, a psychic detective um, investigator with no formal training. Troy says that Don was murdered on this property that they go to from behind. He feels it so strongly that he actually becomes sick. One of his lines that I no offense to anybody listening, but one of the things I laughed at out loud was he said he was about to quote unquote lose his cookies. I know. And I was like, oh, and I God. just like, I was like, Oh God. And you're right, Darren, you, you, you mentioned here that it's kind of sad to watch this because the daughters just want to find out what happened to their father. I know one of them was like hugging the psychic at this right. point. There's, there's this moment that you're kind of watching and it's like, they're just so desperate to know where their dad is. And like, they just want to believe it, you know, you know? and that's what's sad. Cause it feels like to me, who's very skeptical of this shit that they're just getting taken advantage of. Yeah. Well, at this point, Joe exotic reaches out to John Phillips, who's now, you know, an, a free agent and working, you know, could work with whomever and hires him as their attorney. And now he is team Joe. And I just, I, I didn't even know this happened. I gasped in the gym when I was watching this episode, I could not believe it. And there's like a whole moment where he puts on like a Team Joe hat. And I'm like, okay, guy, like, what is your true allegiance here? I mean, I don't know how, how lawyers work and like what their ethics are in terms of this type of stuff. But I was just well, he, very shocked. He was with Don's family. So I don't, th- I mean, obviously it was, which is, I guess is kind of pro Joe because it's anti Carol. So well, all in all true. that kind of works. But to me, it seemed smarmy, and it made me kind of believe yeah. the family that they didn't hire him because he seems way more into the attention than not. That's how I right. took it. Well, then episode three ends with a an incredible cliffhanger. Alan Glover, if you remember him from the first season, blames Jeff and thinks that Joe was actually framed in all of this, that Jeff Lowe is actually really responsible. And remember, Alan was allegedly the hitman for Joe Exotic. Right, who got paid like $3,000 to go down to Florida to go kill Carol. But, Carol, that's what I you mean. You know, yes, never, he never did. Um, but he was hired by Joe, according. That's you know, right. So he's yes, one of the reasons. Yes. So we get in the next episode called The Lion King. Like, I'm lying Perfectly to you. titled. So yep. Alan is really the linchpin in all of this. He does not think Joe deserves 22 years in prison. Alan says that Jeff was telling him what to say and what to do, and that if he took the bullet, he would take care of him. So Alan is really this... I think Alan's biggest fault is probably that he's so loyal and just clearly wants to live an okay life, you know? He doesn't want anything fancy, but he's so loyal that I think he was probably manipulated and sees that now. We kind of move to Pahrump, Nevada, where there are other zoo owners who claim that Jeff never really knew how to take care of tigers or the exotic animals and is very, very, very suspicious of Jeff Lowe. This is where the the doc kind of gets a little hard for me just because it's a lot of animals that are being dealt with inappropriately here. And we should say too, like without getting, you know, not to spoil anything, but like we this is the moment in the series where we move completely away from Dawn. And I'm like, yeah. What, what, so what is, I mean, I guess it was like, here's the update about there, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I was thinking we were going to hear nothing about, you know, the whole thing was going to be about Don. He's, he's allegedly alive, you know? So I was kind of like, oh, okay. We're going back into like animal abuse and things like that. That's annoying, but okay. I'll keep watching. 
So Carol apparently has a million dollar judgment against Jeff Lowe. And this was after Joe tried to change his assets, which Jeff was taking over that zoo now that he has liability, that liability. So when Joe went to prison, everything went to Jeff. And so now Carol's judgment against Joe is transferred over to Jeff, really. That's right. And uh, we kind of meet this guy, Joe Barth, who's this drive-in movie theater owner uh, nearby. Which is is like right next to it. Right next door. And apparently... He was telling us that Jeff Lowe owned a liquidation center right next to that drive-in movie theater. Jeff looked like he was trying to make some reality show based on this, which kind of reminded Mm -hmm. me of like Storage Wars and Pawn Stars, things like that. So it never went anywhere, but that's not necessarily unheard of. Jeff abused a domestic abuse organization by posing as an employee and using his name to sell liquidated goods, but the profits never went to the victims. It went to him. So he sold his shitty goods to these halfway houses, apparently, which is just fucking horrendous and horrible. And this is just a horrible person. Tim Stark, who's this other eccentric zookeeper owner called uh, owner of Wildlife in Need, created Tiger Baby Playtime, which lets people just kind of play with baby tigers. And we're introduced to Tim Stark. He's going to come into the story here. We're just kind of introing him right now. You'll (laughs) see how he weaves in. But this does seem like an animal exposition at its worst to me. I mean, this is really making, like, cat people look bad in general, which I don't like. (laughs) That's true. It just seems it just seems wrong. Like, there's just something about it that seems wrong. And I don't I had the same instincts as well. I don't like it. Yeah, I had this... I had the same instincts and I kept thinking, oh my God, here we go again. It's like Joe Exotic on steroids, essentially, but okay. Well, Tim Stark has a lot to say. He's just as eccentric as Jeff and Joe. And Tim and Jeff Lowe partner up and that really doesn't end well. Tim was putting in all the work, according to him. Jeff never helped. Tim was transporting animals, but his generator broke. So it's like kind of this division Mm. of labor where, you know, they're owning the zoo together. They're kind of going in Mm -hmm. on profits and Jeff is doing nothing. And if we remember from the previous zoo owners, he didn't really know how to handle fucking tigers. So Jeff was kind of using Tim. But here's the thing that really bothered me. Tim was transporting these animals, but his generator broke. And he came back with a truck full of dead animals. And this is just... This is just madness to me. Because the AC it. wouldn't work, by the way. We should clarify there. So that's why they all died. In that's the why they all truck. died. Uh, Tim kind of has this weird story about his father calling him Sue, as in that Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named mm-hmm. Sue. And it, it almost seems like it's his, like, there's Tim, and then there, when he's being a nice guy, it's Sue a little bit. It's a <laughs> yes, little bit of like exactly. a double personality. Um, totally. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not alleging, but I immediately thought schizophrenia. Like there was a there was a split personality. Yeah, yeah, something weird is going on there for I sure. I mean, it seems to me as we're kind of learning about all this stuff that no matter what, if anything, Je- Jeff is just always in the center of the yeah. zoo drama, and for me. Wouldn't you just be like, maybe I'm the fucking common denominator all of this and I should stop. <laughs> maybe you're doing the drama. Yeah. Right. Well, as any red blooded male thinks, as Jeff did, let's combine <laughs> playing with tigers and a strip club. This was Jeff's uh-huh. like brilliant idea for his zoo. Jeff and his partner, Lauren Lowe, had a, whenever someone would come on to their zoo, they had a code 69, which was when a oh, dear. 69, when a pretty girl walked on the property. And Ashley By the West- way, 69%, just a reminder of That's you guys right. listening on Patreon, wanted us to talk about this. And Ashley Webster, who's kind of this whistleblower in the stock, was a volunteer yeah. in Jeff and Lauren Zoo, said that Jeff made comments about Carol needing to die, to die because she stole animals. You know, Joe obviously said the same thing, so that could have mm-hmm. just been heated rivalry there. 
For sure. Ashley left a voicemail for Carol warning her that people were coming after her. And this actually sparked the murder for hire investigation. Ashley claims that Joe took the fall for all the actions, but Jeff was just as much a part of the murder for hire as Carol Bas- of Carol Baskin as Joe was. So it's not all on Joe. This is sort of this whistleblower in Jeff's camp being like, no, it's just as much Jeff's fault. It would be Joe's. Absolutely. And I thought it was so cool that you could hear Ashley's voicemail for Carol. I was like, how did they get that? I wonder if Carol handed that over or if it was like in some sort of evidence or trial. Yeah. You know, maybe they saved in some sort of thing. Well, Alan, you know, the hitman, he believes that because Jeff recorded the conversations between them without his knowledge, that Jeff was actually trying to entrap Alan in this entire plot. You know, remember, he was like, if you take the fall, I'll take care of you. And Alan is actually willing to get arrested to help Joe. That's how that's how horrible he thinks this whole situation is. And yeah. Tim Stark was getting in trouble for not taking care of the animals and got PETA called on him. He was declawing big cats, which is horrible. And I can't handle this because anything knows that cats, big cats, you know, running in the wild, they need their claws to survive. That's how they fucking kill. That's how they walk. It hurts. It's like ripping off a thumb from a human being so this was mm-hmm. like particularly just horrible to watch in you, my opinion you even yeah. call it animal terrorism in a sense and i think you're right it feels like that to me i mean you know yeah. how i am with animals but this is just yeah. it's madness well this is one like thing i really loved about this documentary too is like any chance that they had to educate the audience on the importance of what is going on with the animals in particular they did yes there was a whole segment here where you know they had um you know, someone talk about the significance of how declawing is so terrible for these animals. And I thought so many people think, you know, Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin and all these characters, but the reality is there's major animal abuse happening. And the fact that Netflix took that extra moment to explain the significance of it, not just in that moment, but in other times, I thought was really responsible and kudos to Netflix for doing that. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to move in quickly here to the final episode. Um, We find out Dylan Passage is moving on to a new boyfriend and he didn't even tell Joe. I was a little bit like, okay, I do get this. Like it kinda Yeah, and I was like, there's a little bit of me where I'm like, you know, I'm I'm trying to be not as sensitive to how gay people are portrayed because I don't love the way they portrayed the romance in, in the first season, but it is kind of significant because we realize that Joe is also going to be forced to move on. And we'll get into that here in a second. This episode was just crazy, by the way. The Tim Stark stuff was just, <laughs> I, mean, I was captivated. Yeah. He finally loses to the police. They raid his place and all of his animals. Because remember, is PETA a... is after him. PETA That's is right. after him. P- so they're sanctioning him right now. And not only PETA, but like they have PETA saying, hey, he's doing all this abuse. The Indiana uh, district attorney is like, or um, state's attorney. Is that the right word? What am I saying? Um, the Indiana something. I'm forgetting his, his title now. You, you guys are listening. will know. But anyway, the state of Indiana is basically like, we're going to come get all these animals out, uh, out of your property. Yeah. Um, and you had the same thought I did, Darren. I'm like, where do people get all of these exotic animals? Like, they're in the middle of Indiana. How like, what is going these, on like, here? How do they get these, like, spider monkeys? Like, I, I, yeah. I, how do they do this? I guess there's obviously this, like, know. underground There has to thing, be, yeah. But, like, wow. And one of the more heartbreaking moments, even though thankfully they didn't die, Tim tried to hide a lot of these animals in a box truck with no ventilation on the side of his property. I can't handle this. I couldn't handle that. It's just like he was saving his own ass and, you know, treating these animals horribly. And thank God 
you know, most of them didn't die, but it was like the torture. I just couldn't handle it. I could not handle this. Well, not only that, but like, I love that one of the workers or volunteers was like, I raised all of them. I know their names and I cannot believe he did this. And she was like, I hope he goes to jail like Joe Exotic. And I loved hearing that because it's like, well, at least you know that there's somebody working with these animals that actually cares Cares. about their well-being. So um, Jeff Lowe's Tiger King Zoo also gets raided by the government. And this sparks Jeff to basically try to align with Joe. So there's this whole pendulum swing and by the way there's the so much of more my t- enemy is my friend that's right that was mentioned in the show the tim stark stuff he then he goes missing by the way which we'll get to and all that stuff but there's just so much around the stark you have to go watch this episode it's just yeah, it's the really way it good. unfolds he's being filmed and he's on the phone telling people that are inside of the raid to pretend they don't know where these animals are i mean I'm like, hello, you don't see the camera right in front of you as you're telling them to mislead the the people that are there. Right. It was so stupid. But anyway, pendulum swings. Joe one or Jeff wants to align with Joe and basically says that the feds kind of set this all up in some way or another. Um, and that he has evidence that would exonerate Joe from prison. Okay, now we're getting somewhere mm-hmm. with this show. So, you know, essentially Joe and Jeff have the same enemy here. It's the federal government, in a sense. But Jeff needs to sign an affidavit saying that they lied about the murder for hire and essentially that the feds set it up. James Garretson comes back into the picture, also now trying to get Joe out of jail. And John Phillips also needs that affidavit from him him as well. They're recording showing that Jeff and Lauren and James were set up to try to entrap Joe into admitting murder for hire. I mean, that's major. It's unbelievable. I can't believe that there's a recording of that. And it's just so interesting to think about Jeff in this moment because he's basically been sitting on this essentially evidence the whole time that would... is this guy's rotting in fucking prison yeah and we and we also find out in this moment that those recordings were not brought up by joe's public defender remember he didn't even have like a full lawyer at this point right um so you know there's another case here where it feels like joe deserves another potentially a new trial if nothing else but in the meantime we're learning about all these other murder for hire plots that are unfolding because we also find out that Alan Glover gives his affidavit and he admits that he was going to kill Joe Exotic, not Carol Baskin, and that the only person that knew about this was Jeff himself. Right. Now, when we say we get, gives in his affidavit here, we're saying he's going on record. He's not mentioning it to the Netflix producers. He's going on record with a lawyer saying this is my truth. This is what by perjury of the law. This is what happened. Um, they were going to essentially try to decapitate Joe since Jeff, which this is another detail, was on Joe's life insurance. That's right. Darren, it always comes back to life insurance. We've they were going to set up show. like this trip wire when Joe was going to be on his yeah. like bike and just essentially decapitate him, which is just which, fucking nuts. Which was also the exact plan they had for Carol Baskin when she was going to get killed. So they even go to the actual property and Alan is basically like, I'm going to show you exactly where we were going to do it, what we were going to do with it. And I bet you anything there's going to still be wire there. So they show up, they they brush through, you know, the brush, for lack of a better, was that the way to say it? Brush through the brush. Um, And sure enough, there is a wire long enough to stretch across the entire pathway right that Joe there, would like have been said. riding on. Yep. Exactly like he said. Now, I want to just mention, because I thought this was an interesting thing. Okay, you led the lawyer with cameras to 
a wire. You have the details on how it was going to happen. I, If I'm on the jury in that situation, I'm saying yes, that is very peculiar, but a wire, knowing where a wire is, I don't know that that necessarily says doesn't say murder, anything, but it, I think you know? it does just support a little bit about Alan. For sure. I would say so. Yeah, yeah. That he, at least, at the very least, his story is lining up. Whether or not you believe what the story is is another question. Alan essentially says he was never going to kill Carol Baskin and that it was always Joe. So then we cut to Joe being like, yeah, can you even fucking believe this? I'm sitting in jail for murder for hire, but I was the hit. Right, right. And exactly. it's just fascinating. So... Anyway, John Phillips is essentially alleging malfeasance on the government's part, and it's ongoing. It's an ongoing. Yeah, the story is ongoing, and we're probably going to get a Tiger King three sometime next year, is what I'm assuming at this point. And I will say, you know, like it, you know, and we can wrap this up now, Darren. We've been talking for a while. Um, My last kind of thoughts, I guess, I will say, is that this this documentary, if that's what you want to call it, doesn't kind of have a straight line of like a story arc but that's how documentaries typically go and we do kind of jump in and out of all these little details that are uh you know relevant um but by the end of it i because i halfway through the fourth episode i was like what is going on we're all over the place with this story with the show but the reality is there's a lot of really interesting updates to all of these people and like it's an ongoing investigation right now so joe is still rotting in prison and this kind of leads us to be like, should he be? And then I have to think about Alan Glover and I'm like, well, do I believe him? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, either way, it was pretty interesting. I think we're going to see an, a Tiger King three. Definitely. I don't know. I, 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 I look at the Joe exotic stuff and I'm like, he definitely at the very least, whether he's guilty or not, deserves another trial I because so that, that evidence being omitted and Alan Glover's new affidavit, you have to, you have to consider all that. So, well, I hope what that a weird one. 69% of you um, enjoyed <laughs> that. I'm sure 31% won't, but we do encourage you guys to watch this. If you have any interest in the story, just cause it does, it's clearly going to set it up yeah. for Tiger King three and certainly, more updates. I guarantee you in yeah. 2022, we're going to be seeing some headlines about this. But uh, that's right. Obviously, did let I us say 2023? I think I did on accident earlier. Oh, but yes, they know what you mean. Uh, obviously, let us know what you think of this. You know, in our Patreon, our social handles at Carpe Darren, at Jay Thrasher, our Facebook group. Uh, let's definitely end on some listener shout outs because all the animal abuse pissed me off so much and I need to end <laughs> positively. That's right. Well, this will be this will like lighten up the mood a little bit. Dewan in our Facebook group said, quote, I'm not allowed to listen to Shaken and Disturbed at the gym anymore. It's a foggy day and I was walking to my car alone after a long workout. The theme music in my earbuds, a man touched my shoulder and I screamed so loud I scared him. He wanted to hand me my towel that I left. Oh, no, thank oh, you. Oh, Dewan. Like, By the no, way, I love that it was the music that scared you because my best friend Johnny is the one that created the music. So it's a really good theme song. I it's like good. Music, but I love that even just the music was spooky a little bit. Well, speaking of scary, Jamie in our Facebook group mentioned that she finally <laughs> got apple pie Baileys herself and asked what she should mix it with. John, you are the apple pie Baileys uh, connoisseur the expert, <laughs> so we wanted to know what you would suggest. Is this like a Diet Coke wine situation? What are we oh, talking no. about here? No, 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 no. I suggested on the Facebook uh, pa- uh, post to use eggnog, Darren. It's that that time of the season, that time of the year again. Ow, ow. 
I know that's what I'll be doing at least in our um, upcoming Patreon live. Or I tried it in hot chocolate recently, and it was really good. Oh my god! Just drink it's, your think dessert, about, like, people. Ch- think of it like chocolate covered apple. Ooh, you know, okay. like yeah, yeah. I'm okay, into there it. you go. That's right. So thank you, Jamie, and hopefully you'll try one of those mixtures. By the way, guys, as I mentioned, don't forget to join us on our Patreon Live this Tuesday, December 14th at 9 p.m. Sign up today, and you'll get a link about 30 minutes before the show starts. It's going to be the best holiday party of the season, hands down, no doubt about that. And if you can't make it or you don't want to give us cash, totally fine. We asked (laughs) a little holiday tip is to rate and review us in whatever app you're listening in. It helps us look so good. It helps us get seen. And it just, it's its very important. So if you wouldn't mind doing that for us, your little radishes, that would be very nice. Thank you. And we should, me- that's right. And we should mention to sign up on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed, all one word, or you can click the link in our show notes. Darren, yes. excellent job recapping this week's episode for us both. Thank you. You were, you're such a great little producer. We do want to sh- say shout out to Megan as well, even though she didn't produce this one. Of we course. love you, Megan. We love you, Megan, and we'll see you all next week for a new episode. That's right. Bye. Bye.